Father, we ask now that uh, your word would succeed, that just as the rain that you send from heaven does not return void, but waters the earth, brings forth fruit, accomplishes the purpose for which you send it, we pray that in this hour that your word would accomplish all of the good purposes for which you send it. God, we pray that your word would go forth in power. We pray that you would work in our hearts to help us to receive the implanted word with meekness so that the word would save and sanctify. God, we pray that you would work in us all things that are pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please open your Bibles to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, this incredible teaching of our Lord Jesus. He began the sermon with eight pronouncements of blessing, the Beatitudes. Jesus tied all of these Beatitudes together by making them begin and, the, and end with the same phrase. So look at that again, verse 3 of Matthew 5. Here's the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the last beatitude in the introduction is verse 10. You'll hear the same phrase here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So these eight statements about who's blessed... They all add up to give us a profile of the person who's been saved into the kingdom of heaven. It is an eight-point depiction of a born-again heart. Or you could say, in the Beatitudes, we have a description of the essential character of a Christian. So the Beatitudes show us what every Christian will be at some level. And, and at the same time, they show us what a Christian should aim to become more, to live like a Christian and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And we looked last week at the first two Beatitudes. Today, we pick up the third. Verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's our first point for today. The meek are blessed. Now, what is this meekness? that will inherit the earth. Let me first remind you that this does not stand alone. You can only understand what this meekness is in light of the other Beatitudes. Jesus tied the Beatitudes together. Each one builds on the ones that come before. And so the blessing of Christian meekness follows the blessings of poor in spirit and mourning. And that's important because there really is a, a range of different attitudes and dispositions that people today might call meek. But if it isn't something that's joined together with a lowliness of spirit before God and a mourning with godly sorrow before God, then, then it is not this meekness that's going to inherit the earth. The meekness that's headed for heaven grows out of these prior to saving blessings. So... Let's briefly remember what they are. The poor in spirit, verse 3, the, the lowly in spirit, they're those who humbly acknowledge that they are utterly dependent on God. They see their desperate need for Christ. They, they see their need because they see their lack of righteousness in and of themselves. 
They see their inability to make themselves righteous. They see their inability to offer to God anything that would earn or merit or gain His blessing or His mercy or His kingdom. They recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt, and and so they come to God with one plea, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because of what Jesus did. And Jesus promises about these poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God gives grace to the humble. Then this first blessing, poor in spirit, is, is always accompanied by a second blessing, that's mourning or holy sadness. The man who belongs to heaven doesn't just acknowledge his sinfulness, he mourns over it. He comes to God not just with honest confession, but with heartfelt contrition. This second beatitude then goes a step further beyond the first in painting a picture of the the saving work of God in a person's heart. It shows us a person who who sees his sin and his lowliness so clearly that he feels it. He mourns over it. It matters to him. And so he asks for God's mercy with a broken heart, the sacrifice God doesn't despise. And God gives comfort to the contrite. Now, the third beatitude builds on this double foundation. It takes another step further in describing the person blessed by God, the the humility of heart that receives grace. This man sees his sin and emptiness and need for Christ so deeply that he not only feels it in mourning, he is able by the Spirit to do something that is even harder than that, even harder than personal, mournful confession of spiritual poverty, which is being meek before other people. Meekness is when a poor-in-spirit heart before God shows in how one relates to other people. Okay, it's one thing to be able to admit my own sins and faults and neediness, It's another thing to be able to humbly agree when someone else points out my sins and faults and neediness. Or or even to be able to respond in gentleness. Or perhaps not respond at all when someone wrongly accuses me of some sin or fault. Wow, whose humility is deep enough to do that? The blessed one of of the beatitude, the meek, the Christian can do that. Because of the blessing of Jesus that works in him. Meekness is a humble, self-controlled gentleness. That is not self-promoting or defensive. Listen, if we say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If we say, I I am like Isaiah and Peter. I am unclean. If we can sing, guilty, vile, helpless, we... But then when someone else accuses me of being some kind of guilty, vile, and helpless, and and we get all prickly and bristle and act like we're shocked and offended that anyone could say or think anything like that about us, well, then how how deep is our humility before God really gone? How, How poor in spirit are we, really? Those blessed with lowliness of spirit by the Spirit of God are able to be meek, before men. 
This root word translated meek or meekness is many times in Scripture presented as the godly opposite to being quarrelsome. The idea when people speak against you or accuse you of wrongdoing, whether that's slanderous or the truth or some mixture of both, then meekness is instead of taking offense and quarreling and responding in kind, you, you can patiently endure it. And respond in humility and forbearance and self-control. Or or you can think of it this way. Meekness is having a a humility of heart that is so deep and God-centered that that you not only stop trying to justify yourself before God, you also stop trying to justify yourself before other people. And spirit connects a self-righteous, self-justifying spirit before God and a self-righteous, self-justifying spirit before others. Those who are poor in spirit, right, they don't try and declare themselves righteous before God. And so they also shouldn't be driven to proudly prove themselves righteous before other people and feel compelled to convince other people to declare them righteous. And so they don't have to take offense or turn to strife when other people don't declare them righteous in one way or another. Their heart is gripped by the truth. This, this is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if that sinks down deep enough, you can be meek before other people, no matter how they treat you. The poor in spirit know my true justification must come from God as a gift of His grace based on the work of Christ. That's the only justification I will seek before God and before others. The mourning poor in spirit can be meek. You see, it's because they're being taught by the Spirit not to think too highly of themselves to begin with. So so they, they learn to see that the truth about themselves that God knows is worse than any criticism anyone could bring against them. You see, so Christians aren't stuck with this touchiness that's ready to take events at, at every slight and, and is stuck being irritably insistent on, on every supposed right. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones explained it like this. When a man sees himself truly, he knows nobody can say anything about him that is too bad. I would define meekness like this. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. That seems to me is its essential quality. And I think the Bible reasons along those same lines. Titus chapter 3, which teaches us that Christians learn to show meekness toward all people When we remember that we've been saved, not by deeds done by us in righteousness, but by his mercy. And when we remember that apart from that saving mercy, we would be just like everyone else. And in fact, we were before he regenerated us. Titus 3, 1 through 7. So meekness is this blessed lowliness of spirit before God that is true enough, consistent enough, deep enough, it actually affects the way that you relate to other sinners in daily life, and it doesn't just affect the way that you talk to and about God in religious settings. Meekness. Poor in spirit is proved in meekness. You know, can you face correction 
Can you face accusation and respond in gentleness, in righteousness, or when appropriate with confession and repentance, or at other times, respond not at all and just be quiet? Meekness and quietness is is also connected in in Scripture and in the Greek language. The word meek in Matthew 5.5 is also used in 1 Peter 3.4. It it exhorts wives to set their hearts on the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And the Greek word for gentle there is this same word in the Beatitude, meek. A meek and quiet spirit. And Peter says that's very precious in the sight of God. And I think Peter explained a few verses earlier why a meek and quiet spirit is so very precious to God because that is the character of Jesus that Jesus himself displayed while he lived on earth. 1 Peter 2 said when Christ was reviled, he didn't revile in return. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. Now that last part is key. Jesus was meek and quiet before his accusers because he entrusted himself to God. He was looking forward to the the judgment and justice and justification of God. This should help you see biblical meekness, blessed meekness before others. It is not some kind of mousy cowardice or insecurity. Look at Jesus. There is such courage involved in his meekness. It is a courage that comes from trusting God. God will get the final say. God will have his way in the end. And so it's trusting that those who promote themselves and assert themselves and justify themselves, they are not the ones who will end up on top of the world. Or or more precisely, who will end up inheriting the earth. It It is this humble, hopeful waiting on God. That gives a Christian the courage he needs to be meek, waiting to see who inherits the earth, like God says. And that aspect of meekness is is found actually in the psalm that Mike read from earlier that Jesus is quoting from in this beatitude. It's Psalm 37. Psalm 37, 11 says, the meek shall inherit the land. Sound familiar? Psalm 37, 22 says, those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. So here we have, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land or the earth. Now, Psalm 37 tells us something else about those who are going to inherit the land under God's blessing. Psalm 37, 9 says, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Psalm 37, 34 says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. Okay, put all of Psalm uh, 37 together. Who are the inheritors from God? They are the blessed ones, the meek ones who wait for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord and trusting yourself to him gives you the courage, the confidence to be meek in this blessed way. Just as Jesus was meek in the face of slander and the judgments of men because he trusted In God, he waited on God to declare him righteous. He waited on God to be his judge. He didn't need the people in front of him to recognize his righteousness or rights. He would wait on the Lord to do that. So meekness is not just cowardly accepting defeat before others. It is a quiet confidence in God. 
waiting for his final vindication of the righteous, his final exaltation of the humble. It's important because I know the temptation not to be meek before others. We are tempted not to be meek because we think, if I am meek, then it's like I am entrusting myself to this person, and that could turn out to my harm real quickly. But the Bible teaches us to think differently. When we're meek before others, we do that as a way to entrust ourselves to God and to wait on Him. He judges justly. He will bless. He will give the earth as the inheritance to the meek. Now, of course, the world doesn't believe this. The world isn't waiting on God. They're not poor in spirit before God. And, and so they have to feel the need to justify themselves and exalt themselves. They're not trusting in God to justify them. So the world's version of this beatitude, right, it's the complete opposite of what Jesus taught. The world would say something like, uh, blessed are the pushy, for they shall inherit the earth. Or, or blessed are the people who don't take nothing from no one, they shall inherit the earth. Or blessed are the people who learn how to take advantage of the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Uh, don't live like you believe those antichrist beatitudes. You need to trust that God, God has, has the whole world in his hands, and he's going to give it to the meek. R.T. France said, God will give them the high place they would not seize for themselves. And when will he? Well, in a full and final way, in the, at the end of the age. And that's why the meek are told to wait on him. But in another way, uh, we don't have to wait till the end of the age to see this is true. We see this come true when we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. What happens at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? Spoiler alert, the meek inherits the earth. In the Gospel of Matthew, let me explain, this Greek word translated meek is used only two other times. Only this same form of the word, only one other time outside of Matthew, 1 Peter 3. It is a, a spirit that's precious to God. But, but two other times in Matthew, in addition to this beatitude, in both of those times it's referring to Jesus himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, meek, same word, meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's amazing. The Son of God said, come to me, for I am meek. If you will come to me in your sin, in your need, I will not quarrel with you. I will not upbraid you and burden you. I will yoke you to me. And, and that will make your yoke easy and your burden light so your soul can find rest. You know, if you, if you had to go to someone to confess your sin and ask for mercy, the person you should want to go to is the meekest person you can find. A person filled with perfect humility and forbearance and gentleness. Friends, Jesus is that person. He said so. 
I am meek and lowly in heart. The other time this word is used in Matthew, it's Matthew 21. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not on a white horse like a great, conquering, victorious king coming into his kingdom, but he rides into the holy city, Jerusalem, on a donkey in fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet. Matthew 21 quotes it, Behold, your king is coming to you humble. And it's this Greek word meek. Your king is coming meek and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He wasn't going to Jerusalem to to put his foot down and insist that other people recognize his righteousness. The opposite. He was on a mission of meekness to stand silently before false accusations and entrusting himself to God and then to submit himself to God even to the point of suffering the most humiliating and awful death considered fitting only for the lowest of slaves and the worst of criminals. Crucifixion. And his, his death was worse than that. It was far worse. It was suffering the death fitting for sinners. Against God, he became accursed for us on the cross, bearing our sins against God in our place. And there he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, and he waited for God to declare him righteous. And God did three days later. He vindicated him. He raised him from the dead. He exalted the meek and humble one, and he gave him the inheritance that he deserved. What, what the Son did on the cross in saving us was so very precious to God because Jesus saved us, defeating sin and death and Satan, not by might, but by meekness. And so in the end of Matthew, we read, Jesus tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, has been inherited by me. And so it was that the meek inherited the earth. And so it will be in him, Jesus, and with him, Jesus, that all of his blessed meek followers will inherit the earth. You go to Jesus You put your faith in him, you entrust yourself to him, and you are yoked to him. And being yoked to one who is meek, you're not stronger than he is. You're not going to pull that yoke in a different direction. You are going to become meek by the power of his spirit. And God counts all of those who are yoked to Jesus as if they also were crucified with Jesus. And so their sins are paid for. As, as if they have been raised with Jesus and, and so therefore declared righteous before God all the way. And they also come to share in the inheritance of Jesus. The scripture says Christians are co-heirs with Christ. Which is why this beatitude is true. That the meek will inherit the earth. Christians inheriting the inheritance of Jesus because of what he did. Now, this word meek, it is wonderful. It is a wonderful aspect of Christian character, essential Christian character. It is also impossible for sinful, proud men and women like us apart from the work of the Spirit. But it is part of the work of the Spirit in every Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is meekness. Galatians 5 says, gentleness, our translations Most of our translations say, but the word is meekness, the same form of the word here in Matthew 5. 
Brothers and sisters, if you meditate on the promise at the end of this beatitude, that will help you to be meek. Wait for it. They'll inherit the earth. Wait for it. Wait on God. It is coming. That will engender meekness. The Spirit making you meek like Christ. And in that meekness, you will find blessedness. You will find holy happiness waiting on God like that, like Christ. Now look at verse 6, what Jesus said next. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here's our second point for today. The hungry are blessed. Hungering indicates desire. Hungering and thirsting indicates intense desire. And further, it suggests intensely desiring something that you consider to be among your most basic needs. Food and water are, or at least represent, our most basic needs in living. And here again, Jesus is the epitome of this blessedness. He, he said on earth, my food is to do the will of my Father. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And those yoked to Jesus are, are given under his blessing a mind that is like Jesus that starts to think there is nothing more basic and more important to my life than righteousness. Doing the will of God expressed in his word. And Jesus teaches his disciples later in the sermon to think this way. He says, you're worried about what you're going to eat? God feeds birds. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and righteousness. And that determination, that, that that is my most basic need, that's the bottom of my hierarchy of needs as a Christian, righteousness. That, that judgment stimulates an intense desire for righteousness. And now I think if, to, to press this beatitude further, this hungering and thirsting also indicates, in this case, a recognition of lack. You don't say, I'm hungry when you're full. Lack, even an unpleasant, an uncomfortable, a painful recognition of lack. No one said, no one ever said, I'm hungry. This is fun. This feels good. I've never heard anyone say that. The, the truly blessed man, then, he, he longs for righteousness before God out of a perception of his own lack of righteousness. He, he makes righteousness the top of his concerns, and he's dismayed at how far, far short he falls. This, this is the picture of this blessed man. He says, I want to be righteous so badly, there's nothing I need more. But oh, wretched man that I am, I have so little of it. My belly is so empty of this righteousness. This is the, this is the sign of the blessing of Christ on someone. They are when they are starving and panting and gasping to be righteous. And th this is amazing to me, that, this, that the Scripture would say this is evidence of blessedness, that the evidence of blessedness is not later when people are filled up with righteousness, but when they just hunger and thirst for it. And that truth should be so deeply comforting to you, Christian, so encouraging 
and, and, and deeply troubling to the spiritual dead. A spiritually dead person often thinks he's full enough of righteousness. At, at least, you know, at some level, of some kinds. And, and so he doesn't so much have strong desires for more. But a Christian sees he's lacking in righteousness in many ways, and he longs for more. And Christian, you find comfort in this. Jesus says you are blessed. You are blessed already. You are blessed now in your state of spiritual lack, in emptiness of righteousness. Still you can know that yours is the kingdom. Not when you see yourself full of righteousness, but when you feel yourself hungry for it. That is heaven in your heart. That is God's blessedness born into you. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the the Beatitudes contrast and all of the sermon contrasts, that righteousness of the Pharisees that's not going to heaven, they reduce righteousness only to the level of big actions. But we see here true righteousness, the righteousness that, that comes with the new birth and belongs to heaven of course it includes our actions, but, but it touches also our longings and our desires, and it creates an inner hunger and a, a thirst. And blessed are those who feel it. Happy are the ones who have this longing. Righteousness is the way to happiness. Righteousness from the heart. A love of righteousness that grips your heart and makes you hungry when you see your lack. It reminds me, Psalm 45 has this beautiful description of the Lord Jesus. It's quoted in Hebrews 1 about the Lord Jesus. And and it says about him, he didn't just do righteousness and not do wickedness. It says he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. And therefore, God, his God, anointed him with the oil of gladness beyond beyond his companions. Happy are those who hunger for righteousness, who love righteousness. The Spirit of Christ does this work in Christians. There's one more important aspect of this spiritual hunger I want to add. it's, It's all the things we've seen so far. It's an intense desire. It's a determination of need. It's a recognition of lack. And so, this this desire for more righteousness leads to seeking more. David said in Psalm 63, Oh God, my soul thirsts for you. Earnestly, I seek you. Those things go together. Or Psalm 42, My soul thirsts for God. My soul pants for you. Like a deer panting for flowing streams. What do you picture that deer doing? Looking for flowing streams, seeking. Hunger motivates. Hunger is not just something that you feel, it's something that moves us. Proverbs 16 26 says, A worker's appetite works for him, his hunger urges him on. That's why the New Testament says, If someone doesn't want to work, let him feel hungry, it'll move him to work. Hunger sometimes moves people to to do even radical things that they wouldn't normally do. Proverbs 6.30 says, People don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. 
See, this blessed hunger, it, it is, it's not a perception of lack that leads to just mopey resignation, just unhappily resigning oneself to unrighteousness. It leads to seeking righteousness, even at times through you know, radical measures. And I think when you have that big picture in mind that you can see how integrally related this blessing is with all the ones that have come before. Do you see that? This hunger, as I've described it, it involves being poor in spirit. I see my lack. I see my need for righteousness. It is very clearly tied to mourning. Mourning over unrighteousness and hungering for righteousness are like two sides of the same coin in a, in a lot of ways. I don't know how you can say that you're hungry for righteousness if you don't at some level mourn over unrighteousness. Surely no one can have go- this godly meekness without this strong inner thirst for godliness. So, so this beatitude involves all the prior ones, but it also builds on them and it qualifies them. So we're adding to this portrait of the Christian's essential character. It, it, it's, it's like each beatitude that comes before not only adds something else to the picture, but it also goes back and adds more detail to, to the part of the picture that's already on the canvas. Right? Okay, so we imagine someone who's poor in spirit, but, but someone could have a real lowliness about them and, and a kind of humility about them, the way they think about themselves. Well, because of what? Maybe because they're just not as successful as they'd like to be, or strong, or popular, or healthy as they want. Now, the, the blessed poorness of heaven is a lowliness that comes when a person sees he's not as righteous as he wants to be. Now, now we can also imagine, I think, someone mourning over personal sin in, in a way that doesn't actually lead them to do anything about it. Like just, just a big, sad, spiritual Eeyore. There's no desperate seeking for change. There's just a, a lingering, immobilizing despondency over unrighteousness. That's not godly mourning. I mean, can you picture that? Can you understand how someone could, could mourn over sin but not at the same time be hungry for righteousness? I think you probably can understand that because I think you probably have experienced it yourself at one time or another. But this, this beatitude mourning hungers and it seeks. It's a broken heart that, that hungers not primarily for comfort but for righteousness. Now this, this blessed thirst also adds to our understanding of Christian meekness. It, it, it's not a meekness before others that that is just the result of someone being passive and unmotivated. Don't confuse passivity with holy meekness. Christian meekness is an extremely active pursuit of inner righteousness, expressing itself in relationship to others. The the meek person... Christian meekness is not just an unmotivated person. It is a person who is deeply motivated to be righteous, like Jesus. And and this meekness that inherits the earth, that Jesus works in his people, this this gentleness and at times silence before others, it's not just because someone wants to avoid conflict. 
or avoid awkwardness or avoid looking foolish. It's a self-controlled gentleness that comes from wanting to avoid sinning because they want to please God and offer Him heavenly fruits of righteousness. Right? So the former kind of of meekness I just described, that's actually a very self-focused thing. But, but the latter kind of meekness is, is a self-forgetful kind of thing and a God-centered thing. Now, I want you to think about this too, that, that this hunger, now, now zeroing back in, especially on verse 6, it, it's a paradox that, that hunger is called a blessing by Jesus. We don't usually think of hunger as a blessing. Now, of course, this hunger is, a, is called a blessing because in part it proves that your heart has started to become remade and fixed by the Holy Spirit. What your heart loves is starting to be appropriately reordered such that you're beginning to love what is most worthy of loving. You hunger for righteousness. But also, this hunger and thirst is, is called blessed because this is a thirst that will be quenched. This is a hunger that will be satisfied. This is a painful emptiness that will lead to a happy fullness. If ever there is like a a, a blessed physical hunger, it's the hunger you feel at 2 p.m. on Thanksgiving because you didn't eat breakfast and you're just getting ready for some some fullness, right? Well, okay, that's kind of like why this is called a blessing, this hunger, because it is a hunger that precedes a promised fullness, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. They are going to be satisfied. What could satisfy a person who's hungry for righteousness? Righteousness. This is a wonderful promise. Jesus says everyone who's hungry for righteousness is going to end up full of righteousness. Praise the Lord. I love the songs that we sing when there's a line like that. A line like, till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. That day when freed from sinning and we see his lovely face. That day is coming. You hunger for righteousness, Jesus said, you will be satisfied. You'll be filled up with it. God is not just going to give his people breadcrumbs of righteousness, but a full measure of it. Full likeness to Jesus Christ. Complete conformity to Him is coming for every Christian. Conformity to this blessed meek man who took our curse so He could share with us all His blessedness. Uh, Psalm 17, 15. I love it. David expresses this hope for righteousness that is going to be His in the resurrection He says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. This hunger is a blessing because it's leading to fullness. It is also called a blessing because, very closely related, it is the gift of God. Plainly, Jesus is teaching in this beatitude that righteousness is not something you can get for yourself, by yourself. You listen carefully. It doesn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. 
Or blessed are those who fill themselves up with righteousness. Blessed are those who are hungry for it. And the promise is they shall be filled. It's a passive verb, a divine passive. This is the work of God. God will do the filling. God will do the satisfying. God will do the making righteous. As we seek it and hunger for it. And and Jesus' words here, though, I think would indicate that, that even the desire and the seeking for righteousness is a gracious gift of God. Born in our hearts. That, that's why this doesn't say, kudos to you if you hunger for righteousness. It says, blessed are you if you hunger for righteousness. That hunger is a blessing from God if it's in your heart. It's not your own doing. So, so what does that mean? It means you need to acknowledge him. You need to give him the glory for that. And it's a very hopeful thing. It means that you need to go to him poor in spirit and ask him for this hunger. Ask him for more of it. And he is is a generous and gentle God. When you seek, you find. When you seek good gifts like righteousness. Righteousness, the, the desiring of righteousness and the gaining of righteousness This is all God's grace to us. Philippians 2.13 says, God works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The wanting and the working of righteousness is the work of God. So it's like all the other blessings of the prior beatitudes. The kingdom of heaven, the comfort of God, the inheritance of the earth, the gift of righteousness. It's all intertwined is the gift of salvation coming from a merciful God, right? So we talked earlier about inheriting the earth. Well, what kind of earth is that going to be? The Bible says we're waiting for a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, the inheritance of the earth and satisfaction and righteousness are the same gift of salvation. It's the same gift as the kingdom of heaven. You say, what? The kingdom of heaven and the inheritance of the earth? Yes, the new earth where righteousness dwells is when the new Jerusalem descends out of heaven from God and fills the new creation with righteousness. Heaven is coming to earth. And it's our inheritance in Christ. Is it your inheritance in Christ? Is that where you're headed, though? It Is this kingdom yours? Well, this beatitude gives us one diagnostic question to ask. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? In some ways, God is is just a just God who gives people what they want. The scripture says repeatedly, He gives to all in accordance with their works. We could also say he gives to all in accordance with their hunger. Are you hungry for righteousness? Well, then hang on. Wait for it. Satisfaction is coming. Your inheritance is coming because of the righteousness and the death and resurrection of that blessed man, Jesus. Now, as we've said before, in closing, about all the prior beatitudes, all all of the prior blessings, the fullness of these blessings come to us in the end, but we taste the beginning of these blessings, all of them, 
even in this life, through the Spirit that Jesus gives us, the Spirit who unites us to the resurrected Jesus in heaven. And so these blessings of heaven through the Spirit uh, bear fruit in us, that those who mourn over sin experience God's comforts even now, in, in part. So also those who hunger for righteousness will grow in true righteousness by the Spirit, in part, even now. And there is joy and satisfaction, in part, in that, even now. We, we are to continue to come to God, poor in spirit, mourning, hungry for righteousness. And as we do, we are continually comforted, filled, transformed into greater meekness and all righteousness. See, the, the Christian life is this supernaturally blessed life that looks like the Beatitudes. Mourning and comfort, mourning and comfort, mourning and comfort, hungering for righteousness, feelings of righteousness, Hungering for more, satisfaction with more. Thirsting for still more righteousness, tasting still more righteousness. Seeking more, finding more. It, it, is, it is a beatitude life. Being poor in spirit over how weak your hunger for righteousness is. Mourning over how small your appetite for righteousness is. Hungering to mourn over it more. Hungering for more Christ-like meekness, but in a poor in spirit way, acknowledging only God can change us like this in the heart. And so seeking him, asking him to make it so. I could go on and on in this knot of beatitudes. It is also interrelated. This is the blessed, happy, kingdom way of living. Those who are saved by Jesus. It's the way to live like a Christian. And this is the way to pursue obedience to all that Jesus commanded as his disciple, as he tells us later in the Sermon on the Mount. And you start to live that way simply by being hungry to live that way by his spirit. And, and if you are hungry in that way, blessed are you. You will be satisfied. His grace is sufficient. He will enable you to do it and, and from the heart, so that the, the practice of righteousness feels to you like an easy yoke and a light burden. Like his commands are not burdensome because of how the Spirit is making you like Jesus on the inside. Friends, hunger, hunger for a life that looks like the Beatitudes. And ask God, seek God for it. Knock and God will give the grace, the blessing of the beatitude life to the humble, to the hungry. And part of what he'll give you is humility and hunger. Just everything you need for all blessedness comes from God. Go to him. It is found in Christ. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this blessed life that you give us in Christ we taste the blessedness of it even now, and we wait for you. We wait for you, God, for the fullness of blessedness that you promised. We believe that you will vindicate your promise because we have seen you vindicate your promises. You raised Jesus from the dead. We believe the meek will inherit the earth. We have seen you give the earth to the meek and gentle Jesus. Father, I pray that you would 
uh, fuel in us a greater hunger for righteousness, for a further enjoyment of your blessing, so that we could enjoy uh, knowing you, and so that you would be glorified more in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.